Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, January 20th, 2022 edition. And the market is unpredictable. Up uh, this morning, sold off uh, later in the day, and the market dynamics continue to shift day by day. And hopefully, it's not surprising you by now. And uh, our job here is to help you make the proper changes, and most importantly, have the proper mindset. Because mindset sets the stage for all of your decision making. If your mindset is, oh, I just want to invest in this sector, well, guess what? You're only going to buy stocks in that particular sector. If you're open to all types of industries and companies, well, then that opens you up to a lot more opportunities. And so in this environment, you need to broaden out your investment options in this new market, new environment. It's very, very different. This is not your 2020 market, 2015, pretty much any year going back to 2008. It's a very different year. We bought in 2009. So basically since then, You've had financial repression, low interest rates, growth over value, stories over stability. And so I'm here to help you navigate this new environment. And I'm going to do with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success. That's my assurance that no matter what I'm speaking about, no matter what topic I'm bringing up or what topic you bring to me, I'm going to give you the data that I see in front of me and perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience. So I'm here ready to answer your investment and finance questions. So I encourage you to reach out to me and interact live during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. Or if you're listening after hours, no big deal. You can leave a message on our invest talk voice bank and we'll answer your question on a future show. But either way, the number never changes. It's still 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, would like to get your opinion on Signature Bank. The ticker symbol is S-B-N-Y. Thank you. 
All right, looking at Signature Bank, this is about $20 billion market cap. It's had a rough three days here, but still in a an uptrend above all the major moving averages, uh, below the 20 now, but above the 50, 100, and 200. So technicals still remain relatively strong. And this is a holding company for Signature Bank operating through 31 ban- branches in the New York metropolitan area. Overall, first thing, it's a good area. It's good, good, good part of the country. Now you could argue, this is one way to argue, is that as more people move into the gateway cities, people are going to move out of areas like New York City, but maybe uh, into um, and in, into cheaper areas. And so maybe the economic growth of the New York State uh, is not going to be as strong. That's one argument here. But it is a regional bank. And it's a commercial bank. It's not an investment bank. It doesn't have an investment banking arm. And so that's a good thing. They lend in commercial real estate, commercial industrial lending, commercial deposit gathering activities, your standard commercial bank. That's exactly what type of company you would want. Now, it is a bit on the expensive side. That's the issue here. It's currently trading at about 23 times earnings. It's a bit expensive for a bank. Its price to sales ratio is about seven and a half. And historically, it trades closer to five or six. So on that metric, it's a bit overvalued. Its enterprise value to EBITDA is actually, I don't have that number because uh, EBITDA looks to be, oh no. Yeah, enterprise is negative. That's why, <clears throat> which is just an accounting metric. But anyway, so the point here is that this is not cheap, uh, but I like what you're looking at. I like the company. It has good, consistent, strong, long-term profitability and will benefit from higher interest rates. Now, once again, I think this area of the market is set for a near-term pullback, so I wouldn't be aggressive to get in right now. But on pullbacks, I do think this is a, a good name. Right now, it's sitting at 340. Somewhere a uh, pullback into the high 200s would be a good entry point for this name. That was Signature Bank, S-B-N-Y. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Oil prices have hit a seven-year high. And at least one major oil company CEO thinks that, due to many players involved, it's hard to predict when the market might balance out. Are you invested in oil? We're going to talk about the oil market and both the supply and demand side. Supply and demand, which for anything in the economy is, is vital, both sides, supply and demand. And especially most important in the commodity space. So we're going to look at that. Also, a story I wanted to talk to you, talk about yesterday was commercial office rents. This is a very interesting because it's kind of paper overing. It's paper. It's, it's, it's putting kind of lipstick on a pig here. Uh, and a lot of the headline metrics around rents for the commercial property space uh, remain relatively strong, but the, the concessions that they're making are papering over the weaknesses, the cracks in that market. So I want to bring light to that. Also, Chinese listed companies. There is continued pressure on those companies to be audited by U.S. firms and what that can mean for uh, companies in that space listed here in the U.S. and what delisting might mean in the future. 
So those are things that are on my mind, but ultimately I want to hear from you. I want to know what's on your mind. 888.99 chart is how you get through and ask your question today. Let's look at the market. S&P down 50 points, about 1%. And really it was a strong rollover in the major indices late in the day. Early in the day, we had a bit of a bounce. And late in the day, we had a certainly strong rollover. Now I'm starting to see a little bit of short-term capitulation uh, in the market and actually growth outperformed values. The rollover was actually in the value space today for the most part. If you look at the Morningstar style box, which I'll bring up here, yeah, that was small cap value was down 2%. So this is a bit of a day that bucked the trend uh, of, of, of the start of the year. And a lot of that had to do with, I think, the 10-year slowing down its increase. Yesterday, it was down about three basis points. Today, it was roughly flat. And that gave, I think, a little bit more life to uh, the growth side, even though you had Peloton who s suspended production of their bikes because they just have an oversupply. And once again, the pandemic stocks are coming undone. That was down 24% today, Peloton was itself. So we're heading into a break. Sid from Ontario, Canada, hang on. You'll be next. And now I'm taking your Invest Talk calls live at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Sid in Ontario, looking at BBD, which is a Brazilian bank. You own it or looking to buy it? Hi, Steve. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. I have this in my radar. Uh, actually, I have not purchased yet, but I like to put one of your statements day before yesterday. You mentioned excellent that stay away from the speculative and story stocks. And I think you have been telling this in almost every uh, live show, right? And I'm just looking at this stock. Is this also a story stock? Because this is $35 billion dollar company with the earning is just a half a dollar per share. Uh, just I want to extend my learning from what you said in the previous episode. Should we stay away from this side of this kind of the company or is it just not that kind of the speculative stock? If no, the, the spec more in detail, that yeah, the, the speculative stocks that I'm speaking about are the companies that promise disruption and don't have a business model that produces positive cash flow. And their main, their main goal of being a public company is simply to be able to issue more shares and fund a, a negative cash flow uh, business over a long period of time in, in the hopes that they eventually grow into profitability. And there are a lot of those names. Peloton's a good example of that. Zoom, there's just a lot of these these names that are that are that are in this space. Uh, but no, the, what you're looking at is a Brazilian bank. Banco Bradesco is, uh, I guess, how you pronounce it. And this, like you're right, $34 billion market cap good size. They have certain struggle, certainly struggled over the past few years. They made $2.61 in 2016, but in 2021, they're only supposed to make 50 cents for the full year and 55 cents for the full year this year. Yield 3.8%. Revenues are starting to grow again. That's good. Which your biggest issue here is the fact that they're going to 
uh, they're going to you're going to have currency risk here because right? I imagine the vast, vast majority of their branches are in uh, are in Brazil and most of their businesses in Brazil. So if the Brazilian real is, uh, appreciates against the U.S. dollar, then you'll have tailwinds. If the Brazilian real depreciates, you'll have headwinds. OK, so this is the second largest private bank in Brazil and it has it's the largest insurance provider in Brazil. I like that. With they have a twenty to twenty five percent market share there, and let's see. Hmm. So banking provides seventy percent of the profits. Thirty percent comes from the insurance business. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like this to be honest with you. Why? First, you have to get the currency right. Well, Brazil's gone through some rough times, and the currency is relatively weak. Now, a lot of that has to do with political concerns that I think are improving, but also value of commodities. Brazil is a big commodity exporter. So the value of, the, uh, of, of uh, oil goes up. That's going to help them. Uh, and I'm seeing emerging markets get some strength as well. So while this is speculative, it sure, sure is speculative because it is a Brazilian company and most of their business uh, is domiciled within a, a, a tough jurisdiction. So it's risky, but definitely a much better name than some of the Ponzi names, uh, Ponzi companies that are, are taking big hits today. So I'm going to give BBD, Banco Bradesco, a thumbs up. Let's go to Zach in Minnesota looking at 3M. Hey, Justin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I currently uh, own 3M. I have it in my uh, dividend portfolio. Uh, held it for some time. Plan on holding it for quite a while. Uh, my position is... Uh, dropped though uh, under like a two percent uh, part of my portfolio, and I'm looking to add to it. Um, curious on if you think now would be a good time to add to my uh, 3M position, and if so, uh, what kind of price target would you be looking at uh, picking it up at? Now, what I will say is I, I like 3M, the company 3M. Uh, it's in the right area that that I want. Uh, in, in the industrial space, but the technicals basically since August have turned very negative. It's been a series of cascading, cascading lower, consolidating, uh, producing bearish flags and breaking down again. And they've done that through the summer, broke down in September, consolidated into December, broke down again, and you're just creating another uh, base to break down again. So until I see that pattern break, I'm not getting excited about it because it's not super cheap. I would say it's about fair value. And I don't want to buy a company in a downtrend that's at fair value. I want to buy a company that whose downtrend is looks to be over from a technical perspective and is undervalued. Uh, so it's not there yet. Where I would get excited about this name is back down around 120. 125 and it may get there uh this year depending on you know market environment so uh i would be looking at the technicals because and i would not think about it probably until 140 uh kind of in that 120 to 140 range is where i'd hope to see a bottom but i would need some technicals to confirm it now we're moving into a break i will return with more answers to your questions and also my focus point here on invest talk 888-99 chart each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. 
Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this headline. Oil prices have hit a seven-year high. And this was an interesting interview with Exxon CEO Darren Woods. And he had some interesting quotes. One was that until industry, quote, in, until industry begins to ramp up production and increase the level of supply to meet this growing demand, or in turn demand starts to come down a little bit, we're going to see a lot more volatility until we get stability. He's trying to, I believe, talk down oil prices, which is kind of odd. That's pretty rare for a a CEO, but these are uh, a CEO of an oil company. But these are kind of new times in the oil patch. And I don't think that they they want to be viewed as trying to capitalize on higher oil, oil prices. And he has a very interesting way of talking about their business and in, in the midst of higher oil prices. For example, international Brent crude broke $88 a barrel recently, its highest level since 2014. And that's because producers continue to put a lid on production. And demand continues to go up, which I'll get to here in a minute. But what he says is, when looking at new investments, the company is focusing on ensuring operations can be competitive across a wide range of price environments. So being very selective on what they invest in. And they also said on Tuesday that it's targeting net zero greenhouse gas emissions for its operations by 2050. Many competitors also announced similar plans, and this become this is from pressure for Exxon. Their activist is called Engine One, and there are a few uh, big oil companies that Engine One has put pressure on, and they put three new candidates from Engine One on the oil giant's board. So a lot of activists and investors are getting involved in the space and putting pressure to not invest in new carbon emitting projects. And Tuesday's climate pledge, built on, on previous announcements to cut emissions, but they also pledged billions of dollars to develop emission-reducing technologies, similar to carbon capture. So what's interesting here is there's different ways to address the climate pressure. It's to not invest in new production. That's, that's kind of clear across the board. But what do you uh, invest in? For a diversified company like Exxon, they're fairly well vertically integrated. That's a, that's a term that everyone should understand, vertically integrated, meaning not a, they don't just drill for oil and natural gas, but they also take that oil and natural gas and they refine it and they produce it into end products and they sell uh, chemicals, petrochemicals. And so there's various ways that throughout that process that they produce greenhouse gases. And one way that they can reduce those greenhouse reduce those greenhouse gases is by doing things like reducing emission leaks, electrifying certain equipment instead of using oil and gas. And they've identified 150 potential steps and modifications that can cut emissions across its operations. So really focusing on tightening up areas where there's just leakage and, and inefficiencies. Uh, and frankly, that's just good for business. 
overall, if you're wasting energy and you're not doing things as efficiently, well, you can kill two birds with one stone, make more profits and also reduce emissions. And I think that's what they're going to start with is, is really focusing on uh, ways that they can, they can use this crisis, quote unquote crisis, whether you believe it is or not, and capitalize it and make money on it. Okay, so that's how the oil companies are thinking about this. So that's the supply side, less supply, different ways to signal that they are green. The other side is oil, global, global oil demand. This is from the International Energy Agency. And growth forecast for the coming year is 200,000 barrels a day to 3.3 million barrels. And they raise their demand forecast for 2021. And this year, oil demand will exceed pre-pandemic levels. They announced this on Wednesday of last week. And they said at the current speed of transmission, a large part of the population will likely have gained uh, immunity, talking about uh, Omicron, and that that will result in less restrictions, more mobility, and more demand for oil. They think total demand this year should stand at 99.7 million, and that is 200,000 barrels above 2019 levels, pre-pandemic levels. They also see higher natural gas prices prompting greater demand for cheap oil. And you've seen that already. When natural gas prices go up, they get so expensive, especially what's happening in Europe, that a lot of times they switch to oil because which, it's cheaper. And typically natural gas is cheaper. But when natural gas prices quadruple like they have over the past uh, couple of years, then suddenly the oil becomes the more preferable source. And we all know that oil burns uh, more dirtier than the natural gas. Now, they expect supply to exceed demand by a narrow margin through 2022. But that doesn't really make any sense because OPEC missed their planned target production by 790,000 barrels a day last month. So the incremental supply is supposed to come from OPEC plus, but they're not meeting what they say they're going to. Global oil, oil supply rose by only 130,000 barrels a day last month in 98.6. So 98.6 versus what they're expecting the demand to be 99.7% million this year. So there's a deficit there of over a million barrels and we're already at low, low inventories. And that just goes to show you why oil and energy stocks continue to stay strong while the rest of the market is melting down. Now I'm heading into a break. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. 
Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. My name is Carlos. I'm from Los Angeles. I have a quick question in regards to selling a used vehicle. Uh, I've heard that prices of used vehicles have gone up, and it's a seller's market currently. And apparently, there's dealers that are offering a good amount of money for a used vehicle, and it's time to sell. I do have a vehicle that I fully paid, and it is from the year 2018. And I was wondering if I, if you agree with that, if it's a good time to sell used cars. Thank you very much. I'll be listening. Yeah, definitely is. Go to CarMax, get a quote on it. Go to uh, wherever you can get a quote to see what you can get for it. Uh, I know Carvana, they also buy cars and they're so poorly run that they often overpay for for cars and uh, and so i would probably look at both of those obviously hopefully you don't need the car anymore uh because you it's still going to cost money to replace it if you need to need, need, a, need a replacement car uh but if you have an extra car laying around that you don't need uh this is definitely a good time to, to sell it uh, especially because I do think by mid middle this year, late in the year, the supply constraints around the auto industry will be 
resolved for for the most part, uh, and you'll go come into a more consistent balance. And so you want to be selling that that used car uh, near these high prices. And so uh, this this is a good time to be selling off your used car if you have an extra one. Now let's touch a bit on office rents. Office rents. Now, if you look at indexes of office rents, you'll see that there's not a big, not a lot of volatility. Uh, And even the pandemic hasn't created a lot of volatility in office rents. But if you look at the underneath the surface, that's not really the case. Why? Because landlords are giving away a lot of freebies, a lot of money for renovations and improvements and other incentives. Uh, And they're, they're, doing that to compensate for rents to stay roughly the same and not go down. Now, these incentives have always been in the industry, but they've never been so big and so common in the urban market, office markets today. Landlords are showering tenants with millions of dollars in uh, in improvements, tenant improvements, as well as months and months and months of free rent. And this is all to keep those rent roll figures higher. And building owners are able to charge those inflated rents, uh, which are much less than their their face value in in reality, if you factor in those giveaways. Now, the average cash payment to to, to to tenants in Manhattan in their most expensive uh, leases, more than doubled over the past five years, from $76 per square foot in 2016 to $154 a square foot in 2021. So those are the, like I said, incentives, the tenant improvements, the free rent, et cetera, that landlords are giving to those new tenants. So as a consequence, the amount of actual money landlords collecting in total for the leases fell 7.7% over that time period. But if you look at official rents in Manhattan, they've gained 1.6% on paper. Now, why do they do this? Well, it all comes down to valuing the property. They don't care that they have to put out a lot of money up front. As long as those rent rolls and those top line rent revenues look high, then they can justify to the banks that their property is worth X amount, whether when they're going to sell it or finance it. And now with hybrid remote working, uh, it's becoming more difficult for landlords to keep them. And that's why they're having to up their they're spending on construction, on, on free rent, et cetera. And there's a few examples of this. Vernado, Vernado Realty, they rented one of their properties to Facebook for hundred, and they, and they had to pay $150 million for construction work on their new offices in New York, about $200 a square foot. That's one of the highest payouts ever. Roku leased 250,000 square feet near Times Square. And the incentives there were $90 a square foot and free rent for 18 to 24 months. 
So why is this important? Well, if you're going to invest in a REIT or commercial mortgage-backed securities, you have to understand these cracks that are underneath the surface. At at certain point, it's just not viable. It's not feasible to continue to do this. Now, why is this happening? A lot of this is to do with private equity firms. This started in 2008 when financing was cheap. And a lot of times they were flipping these properties and just trying to show those top end rents. And so other tenants have started to copy to compete with private equity firms. But this is an issue. And although the top end numbers are not showing it, in reality, the commercial real estate market, especially in the office uh, area in big metropolitan areas uh, on the coast, they are struggling and likely will continue to struggle as hybrid work becomes more ubiquitous. Now, when people take the, t- take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, I'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. STV says, what are your positions on having trailing stops on stocks to protect profits or less and loss? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to the chart uh, and, and breaking support. So having stop losses is fine. Um, you want to make sure you don't do it around number. You want to make sure you do it based on the technicals. Uh, you don't want to have a uniform oh, 5% stop loss or 8% stop loss or anything like that because some companies are a lot more volatile than others and you need to adjust for that as well. So uh, not a bad thing. Kenny M asks, is there any way to play the falling market or any way to play falling NASDAQ like buying the SQQQ or is this too dangerous? Yeah, I mean, that is one way. The SQQQ is leveraged, however. So you only want to be holding something like this for a short period of time. And what you have to understand is that some of the best rallies in the market happen during bear markets. And so if you're short at the wrong time, especially in a leverage ETF, you can have your face ripped off rather quickly. And there will be in this bear market, in in growth stocks, in tech stocks, as the multiples contract, there will be those that get off sides. You know, for example, right now, there's probably a lot of people, oh, market's sinking, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket, I'm going short, they're going short at the wrong time, and there will be a short covering rally, and it will be vicious, it will be strong, and if you're short, and you're caught on the wrong side of it, it can be very, very painful in a short period of time, especially, like I said, in these leveraged funds. So I would go with a single levered ETF if you're trying to short it, and hold that over a period until you see the monetary policy shift to more dovish as opposed to hawkish. Now let's keep things moving and swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Chris from Atlanta. I ran a screen. I'm looking to create an industrial. I'm building a portfolio now, one sector at a time. I'm looking for an industrial at this time. And I ran a screen looking for dividend-paying industrials with different you know, characteristics. I came up with two. One is Triton International, which I know you've covered before. It's uh, trading at a high value right now or at a close to a 52-week high. Another one I came across was Starbolt. It's a shipping company. Both of them have great return on equity, good return on assets. I'm kind of nervous. I'm leaning towards Starbolt, not because of that crazy dividend. I am curious how they could pay that. But uh, it looks like it might have more potential, but I 
know you guys have said that they can be up and down in the shipping industry. Wanted to get your opinion on this. Can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you. All right, looking at Triton and Starbulk. Now, you're, you are absolutely correct. Starbulk and a lot of these shippers, they're, they're not great investments long term. Not only do they have a very shoddy operating history, but they, they're they very similar to kind of the Ponzi stocks where they just issue more and more shares. Starbulk, Starbulk for example, let me go over the year-by-year year number, number of shares outstanding. Start with 2012, 1 million, then 3 then 12, then 20, 39, then 48, then 63, then 77, then 94 million, then 96 million, and now 99 million shares outstanding. So the, the number of shares outstanding has just exploded exponentially. Why? Because they just are negative free cash flow. It, it, it's, it, to me, it's kind of like an airliner. Uh, people, they don't care where, wh- how, how the, who ships their, their products. It's comes down to, can they now in the near term, there are issues with the supply chain and all that, but that'll be ironed out and they'll go back to a normal, uh, operating environment. And will they be that profitable? Probably not. And so uh, I'm definitely not going to get on board with, with Starbulk and the technicals are starting to weaken. Uh, when it comes to Triton, that's definitely a lot better. Is it a little bit overvalued now? Probably. And it's probably going to trend back to uh, its previous uh, profitability. But at least longer term, it's had a much better track record. In fact, over the last few years, it's actually bought back shares. It had 80 million shares outstanding in 2018, and now only 67 million shares outstanding. So much better profitability metrics, much better allocation of capital, and much better business. So if I'm picking one over the other, definitely Triton, a thousand percent out of a thousand. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now we are what three weeks into the new year and it's been an interesting few weeks. And the big question is, how are you faring? Do you need help? Understanding the risks in your portfolio, whether you're allocated properly for this market environment, whether you have the tools to be successful and find the right opportunities, because there are opportunities. You know, the market is struggling. There are sectors of the economy that are the market that are up still this year and that are going to have solid years or a solid year. They're going to be positive. Not every sector. I can almost guarantee in the S&P is going to be down this year. There's going to be some sectors that thrive. So are you prepared? If you need help understanding, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, over in Orange County, a little bit south of LA. Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at our company, KPP Financial, we operate the same philosophy, independent thinking and shared success. It means we provide both unbiased guidance on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting or send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. Next up, we will go back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank. And remember, the phone lines never close at 888-99-CHART. 
The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, you guys. My question is about Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF. The symbol is SCHD. I was wondering if it would make more sense to hold this in a Roth IRA to be more tax efficient. And if you hold a target data fund, if it makes sense to hold both of these together. Thank you. Uh, in a, well, yeah, I, I think this is fine in a Roth uh, IRA. I like that this is leaning towards value over growth. So it's a dividend ETF and holding it with a target data fund. Yeah, a lot depends on on your strategy. Uh, we like individual ETFs. I rather own this ETF than a target data fund. Why? Because it's value focused uh, and it has pretty good long term track record and relatively low fee. So can you hold them together? Absolutely. You're going to skew more towards equities, which in, in a longer term environment, it makes sense. And so, yes, uh, I think the Schwab U.S. Dividend ETF SCHD is a good place to be. Now, let's touch a bit on what I want to get to. Let's get to China. Now, some 200 Chinese companies could be booted from the exchanges between now and 2024. And this is based on the 2020 law known as the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. And this means that those companies that are audited by Chinese auditors are uh, basically, if you don't if you don't have your books audited by non Chinese auditors by 2024, you're going to be delisted. And more than 130 US companies use the same Chinese auditors for a significant part of their audit. So they're going to have to shift as well. Now, why is this happening? Well, it's because there's a lot of accounting scandals in Chinese companies. Luck and Coffee is just one example. And you can look at the history of that. But a study by accounting professors found Chinese based accounting firms were the second most widely used overseas auditors, trailing just the UK. And analysts looked at countries that blocked US regulators from expect, inspecting those audits by the firm, and then looked at com- countries that have a weak rule of law. And of the top 15 countries, China was the only one that ticked both of those boxes. And so that's really the issue here, is that there's an extremely high level of risk for Chinese companies that to be delisted between now and 2024, beginning of 2024. That's less than two years away. So if you're looking at Chinese companies, you're owning Chinese companies, they may get a bounce in the near term, but be very careful because a lot of them are going to need to be delisted. Running into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. 
Hi, guys. This is Kent in Texas, and I'm calling to ask you, do y'all use a discounted cash flow model when you're evaluating stocks? And if you do in the discount rate, are y'all taking in this sudden increase in inflation like the 7% right there quoting today? I was just wondering how that would affect the model if y'all do use that. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Well, the answer is yes. Uh, that is the most widely used model for uh, any any asset. And that's why we said before that higher interest rates typically are bad for equity multiples, especially growth stocks. Because remember, they're, the, the cash flows that you're modeling out years and years into the future, which for a growth stock is supposed to be a lot higher than it is today, and you start to discount those forward at a very low a very sorry discount those back at a very low rate zero or or less than one which we've had that environment for a long period of time those future cash flows are worth a lot today discounted by a very small amount suddenly those interest rates go up then you start to discount that at a higher rate and those cash flows in the future are worth less so yes absolutely those higher interest rates are going to bring down valuations across the board and that is why you're seeing the growth side of the market struggling the most when interest rates go up. Now let's fit another caller question from 888 chart. Hello, I would like to get your opinion on Goodyear tires. Ticker symbol is GT. Even with the transition to electric vehicles, they would all be using tires. So I would like to get your opinion on valuation and what a good entry price would be. Thank you. Yes, Goodyear tire. You're correct. Whether you're, <laughs> I've tried to say this many times. And a lot of people just get focused on the electric part of an EV is that the vast majority of an EV car is the same, uh, the same as an internal combustion engine car still have doors and seats and infotainment systems and tires and wheels, axles, all of these things are very similar and whether 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 you're uh, driving, no matter what type of car you're driving, it's going to need tires. And so Goodyear supposed to make two dollars and sixty four cents this year from a dollar eighty one last year. Lost money in twenty twenty, which makes sense. A lot of people were stuck at home; they didn't need to go buy tires. Their tires were fine, even if they were uh, getting low on on tread. Eh, I'm not really driving very many, uh, you know, driving down to the store every once in a while. I, I don't really, and not not in urgent need of that. Plus, car sales fell off in a big way in twenty twenty. So it's natural that their business would uh, fall off as well. But if you bring it back to trend earnings, uh, I, I, I like the business. Revenue is now up 42% year over year. Good positive uh, free cash flow. Let's take a look at that here. Yeah, $526 million trailing 12 months on a $6 billion market cap. So free cash flow yield of 8 or 9%. It's pretty good to me. I like it. No dividend. Uh, and the stock is coming down a bit here, but it's looks like it's coming down into some support in the, the high teens. It's at 21 spot 74 today. So I like it. I'm a fan of Goodyear Tire. Now let's squeeze in one more iTunes review question. The Puma 51 says, if you know you guys, uh, I know I know you guys aren't about the growth side of the market right but what would you recommend doing with apple microsoft amazon i plan on holding them for the next five years or so bought and gone way back in july of 2020. i i think 
they're, they're all different types of companies. Uh, there's different risks there. We own Apple for clients and we have cut it back to a, a kind of an underweight position for a lot of clients, but we still like it longer term. Microsoft, Amazon, Amazon, I think is definitely the most overvalued of the three. Microsoft is a bit overvalued, but not dramatically so. But the issue is that as more money comes out of tech, as interest rates go up, they're going to get squeezed. And the technicals are much worse for Microsoft and Amazon than they are for Apple. So, you know, five-year time horizon, I think Apple will be higher. Uh, Amazon and, and, and Microsoft, I'm not so sure about that, but, but we'll see. So that's kind of my take on those three. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. We should hit about 38 million this week. Thanks to you. Get your downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And when you leave a message or a question with your iTunes review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.